How many times has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day. You realize you're running low on something, and you decide to make a quick stop at the store. On a normal day, you would be in and out of there in a matter of minutes, and before you know it, you're safe and sound at home. But September 7th, 2009 wasn't a normal day. That was the day an ambitious, hardworking, intelligent 27-year-old aspiring kindergarten teacher stopped off at a 24-hour Walmart for a bag of dog food. In the next 73 minutes, she would be strangled, raped, brain damaged, and left to bake to death in the Texas sun. This is the case of Jessica Kaler. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Crime Cave. I'm Christy, and I have to say, I took quite a while to think about what I wanted to feature as my very first episode, and I kept coming back to this one. I don't know, the circumstances of this case and the way it played out just always stuck with me. So, who was Jessica Kaler? Jessica Lynn Kaler was born on May 8, 1982, in Austin, Texas. She attended Pflugerville High School, graduating in 2000, and went on to graduate from Texas State University, earning a Bachelor of Science in 2007. At the time of the incident, she was living in Cedar Park, Texas, sharing an apartment with her two beloved dogs, Tacoma and Duke, and her cousin, John Ridenauer, who is a police officer for the Austin Police Department. Jessica was very close with her family. She lived just down the street from her father, Rick Kaler, and her stepmother, Joe Gale. Joe Gale described Jessica as a very positive person, that she didn't like to look at things negatively, and even though she was Joe Gale's stepdaughter, Jessica acted like a daughter would act. And Joe Gale said that made her feel really good. Jessica's father said she worked really hard academically to get into college, and that she handled all of the financial logistics herself, she was working two jobs to save for her master's degree. She was employed at HEB as a manager, which is a major grocery store chain in the Texas area, and was also substitute teaching at Union Hills Elementary while awaiting a permanent teaching position. Her obituary states that Jessica made anyone she came in contact with feel like a friend, that she was a fun and caring person that always put others first. Jessica was an outgoing and bubbly person with many friends that she loved and cared about dearly. On Sunday, September 6, 2009, what would ultimately be the last night of her life, Jessica spent time with her best friend, Melanie Kilpatrick, who also happened to be her cousin and the sister of her roommate, John. Melanie described Jessica as really more of a sister to her, so close that they shared everything. Melanie, her boyfriend, Sergi, and Jessica first hung out at a bar with several friends that night and later at a cookout. It was reported that Jessica was the only one who wasn't drinking, so she ended up being the designated driver. In the early morning hours of Monday, September 7th, after dropping everyone off, Jessica began the roughly 30-minute drive home, but she decided to make a pit stop. She drove to an all-night Walmart in Cedar Park. Friends had later said that they remembered Jessica mentioning during the evening that she was running low on dog food. 
Surveillance video shows Jessica's white Kia pulling into the parking lot and her walking into the store alone at 1.39 a.m. She's clearly seen wearing a red baseball cap with her hair in a ponytail, a white swimsuit cover-up, black flip-flops, and carrying her black purse. It just looked like one of those times where you're determined to just pick up that one thing you need, you're tired, you're not in there to look around, you just want to get in and out of there and go home. About six minutes later, an overhead camera very clearly captures Jessica at an empty checkout line purchasing a single item, a very large bag of Beneful dog food. That stuck with me because it was the exact kind I used to feed my dog, Draven. I remember making many such trips to the store just for that same thing. Now, say what you want about Walmart, but they are known for having a pretty solid surveillance camera system. Camera footage shows a burgundy Chevy Silverado pull into the lot and park rather far away from the entrance. A tall Caucasian male with a ball cap is seen walking into the Walmart at 1.42 a.m., three minutes after Jessica, and heading straight to the restroom. The next time we see this individual on camera... He is coming out of the restroom as Jessica is heading toward the exit carrying the large bag of food. It appears this man is walking briskly behind her. Now remember, he didn't buy anything. He didn't even venture into the other side of the checkout lanes into the actual shopping area of the store. He went into the restroom and came out right as Jessica was leaving. At 1.46 a.m., the outside cameras captured Jessica heading straight to her vehicle and the as-of-yet unidentified man following her out of the store. The man heads not to his car way across the parking lot. He heads straight for Jessica. Unfortunately, a large tree obstructed the view of Jessica's car and the action taking place during those crucial seconds. Ninety seconds later, the Kia is shown leaving the parking spot and driving away. Neither Jessica nor the mysterious individual were seen on that footage again. A little over an hour later, Jessica's white Kia returns at 2.52 a.m. The tall man is seen exiting Jessica's car, making the trek across the parking lot to the burgundy Chevy Silverado and driving away. Let's fast forward to later that morning. Melanie gets a call from one of Jessica's co-workers, saying she didn't show up to work that day. Since Jessica was known to be very responsible and hardly ever missed work, this was a very unusual situation. Melanie called her brother, Jessica's roommate, John. He stated he assumed Jessica was asleep in her room when he left at 5.30 that morning for the early shift at the Austin Police Department. He then called Cedar Park Police to report Jessica as a missing person and suggested they put a trace on her cell phone. Meanwhile, Melanie and her boyfriend, Sergi, launched a search of their own. At that point, they were thinking maybe she had broken down on the side of the road or she had gotten into an accident on the way home. Police traced her phone in a matter of minutes to the 1431-183 Highway Junction, which is a busy shopping district. Melanie and Sergi went to that area and immediately noticed Jessica's car near the Little Caesars Pizza in the large parking area near the Walmart. They pulled up right behind it and noticed her gas tank was popped open slightly. They saw Jessica sitting in the driver's seat. Melanie pounded on the window and called out Jessica's name, when she opened the driver's side door, Melanie said she wasn't sure if it was from the sun, but that Jessica's leg was this weird color, and there was a foul smell of feces in the car. They immediately called 911. Hello? Cedar Park 911, what's that? 911, please. I need 
When first responders arrived, Jessica was pronounced dead. Foul play was immediately suspected, as Cedar Park detectives Ricky Pando and Larry Bond noticed bruising on various parts of Jessica's body and ligature marks on her neck. Clearly, there had been some form of struggle, which could explain why the gas tank lever was tripped. The driver's seat had also been moved all the way back. The temperature on that September day in Texas had reached 90 degrees, so it was imperative that they process the scene immediately before DNA evidence degraded in the heat. Her wallet and car keys were missing, but her cell phone was still at the scene. Jessica's autopsy was performed the following day on September 8th, and it was determined that she had been strangled. Police gathered all available surveillance video from nearby stores and tried to piece together as much information as they could. They honed in on the Walmart footage of the mysterious man that followed Jessica out of the store. After releasing an image of the suspect to the public, they received a tip from an anonymous caller stating that the person in the photo was Crispin Harmel of Round Rock. They did a background check and discovered Harmel had been pulled over three weeks before Jessica's murder for expired registration and was let off with a warning. Dashcam video of the traffic stop clearly showed Harmel and the Burgundy Silverado with a long, horizontal silver plate on the tailgate that read Chevrolet. When they went to his house for questioning, his truck was in the driveway, but the silver Chevrolet plate had been removed. They then interviewed Harmel for the first time. This is embarrassing. So there is a website called LonelyHouseLifeBookups.com. I don't know if you ever heard this. It's kind of it's kind of like a dating site. I met Jessica through there. I was like, well, why? Just meet you at Walmart, and that's where we met. Um, she's like, well, I'm gonna go in there, uh, do shopping, and. Okay, side note here. The fact that this guy had the gall to tell police he met Jessica on a sex website, lonelyhousewifehookups.com of all places, is infuriating. And to think that anyone with two functioning brain cells would for a second entertain the thought that this ambitious, dynamic young woman with major goals in her life would not only hook up with this loser, but just hand off her debit card to him and let him drain her bank account. I Okay, back to the story. Obviously, Harmel's statements to the police were loaded with inconsistencies. Numerous witness testimonies would reveal that Jessica was not the type of person to have an account on such a sex website, and there was absolutely zero evidence on her phone or computer that she had ever been on a sex website, or that she had any previous contact with Harmel. 
Another witness, Harmel's best friend's ex-fiance, testified that Harmel was supposed to drop off the money he owed his best friend at the time of Jessica's death, but he hadn't shown up. Tracing activity on Jessica's bank card, it was discovered that a man matching Harmel's description, using it at 3.04 a.m. to fill up his truck with gas at the Exxon station. Police said Harmel admitted that he had thrown away a debit card belonging to Jessica and a receipt from where the debit card was used because he didn't want to get stuck with a debit card of a dead girl. Harmel also stated the clothing he was seen wearing at the Walmart had been left at a friend's house. Something police discovered later was a lie. Police were eventually able to detain him on a charge of tampering with evidence and modifying his truck, a potential crime scene, and disposing of Jessica's bank card, to which he pled guilty in 2010 and received 10 years. During this time, the state worked on building the murder case. Turns out they needed that time because, believe it or not, it took three years for Walmart to track down another camera that had been rolling on the parking lot the whole time. There would actually be two trials. The first one, in 2014, ended in a mistrial. The timestamps on the video footage contradicted the defense's timeline. In a court document, the judge agreed that the prosecutor knew about the timestamps but had not informed the defense about the same. The timing was so important because the defense's case was based primarily on the argument that Harmel could not have been with the victim at the time of the offenses. The second trial took place in May of 2018. Through the extensive investigation and trials, here's what we know about what happened to Jessica Kaler. After Jessica loaded the bag of dog food into the back seat of her car and got into the driver's seat, Crispin Harmel jumped into the back seat of Jessica's car after following her out of the Walmart. He choked her with her seatbelt and forced her to drive to a nearby park where she was raped and strangled further with the tie of her own swimsuit cover-up. Believing her to be dead, Harmel moved the seat all the way back and drove back to the parking lot, leaving Jessica there and returning to his car. Christina Wilson worked at the Little Caesars where Jessica's car was found. Wilson says she saw Jessica that morning struggling for hours. When Wilson first arrived to work at 9.30 a.m., she saw Jessica in the back seat of her car, naked, trying to get into the front seat and put on her cover-up. Wilson described Jessica as jerky and uncoordinated. Wilson said she saw her again around 10 a.m. outside of her car, where she seemed skittish and was playing with her hair. About 45 minutes later, Wilson says she saw Jessica back inside her car and it looked like she was talking to herself. Wilson said she saw Jessica one last time, a little after noon, still in her car. She said she was making figure eights on her steering wheel. Jessica was found dead in her car a few hours later. When asked why she didn't call police, Wilson said she thought maybe Jessica was on drugs or had a mental illness and she didn't want to take a chance. Although it was determined that the strangulation was not Jessica's direct cause of death, it left her with severe brain damage and unable to get help. Her phone rang dozens of times while she sat in that car, but she was unable to answer it. Nancy Niemer of the Attorney General's office said, but for his strangulation of her, she wouldn't have had the brain damage that then had her sitting in a hot car that led to her death by heat stroke. When Jessica's body was found inside her car, it was 90 degrees outside, 
and the car had the windows rolled up. It was smeared with feces, since strangulation victims often lose control of their bowels. DNA can degrade due to high temperatures, humidity, and fecal matter. During closing arguments, the prosecution said, this defendant that night turned into every woman's worst nightmare. Fortunately, there was enough video footage and physical evidence left at the crime scene that the prosecution was able to persuade the jury of 12 and find Crispin Harmel guilty of capital murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. His post-sentence appeal was thereafter rejected by the court. He is reportedly serving his sentence at McConnell Unit in Beeville, Texas. Well, I really appreciate you joining me for my very first episode of Crime Cave. I hope you'll join me for episode two, and we'll see where this journey takes us. Feel free to spread the word, and also follow Crime Cave Podcast on Instagram. Until next time.